0: This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and to each other. I'm Ami Vora. The Open Streets program in New York City started just over a year ago. Certain streets were closed off to through traffic, and people are able to use those streets as open public space. The program has grown to nearly 70 miles of city streets. And even though it began as a direct response to the pandemic restrictions, it seems like it's here to stay.
1: So this has all been, you know, kind of right across, you know, right, yeah, very yeah. accessible for yeah, you. Absolutely. And, and you mean, you feel, I think, it's, is it a net positive? Yeah, the I neighborhood?
2: mean, I think there's. The positive, obviously, is for the kids that are obviously right. enjoying themselves right now, yeah. uh, larger streets for people to feel like they're not um, mm-hmm. right on top of each other. I think there's also something akin to the community having a space that feels yeah. a little bit, I would say their own. I think that people feel more comfortable right. being together outside post-COVID in a space like this. So mm-hmm. I think there's a sense of community that's fostered because of that. It's probably been always been here. But I think I see it now more than ever because of the space allowing for people to congregate together. Right.
0: That was Mike Robles on his neighborhood's open street. Today, Epicenter writers Jade Stephanie and Felipe De La Hoz talk to more advocates.
1: I spoke with Corey Epstein, the director of communications at Transportation Alternatives. They're working to reclaim New York City's streets from the automobile. We talked about how open streets will help New York bounce back from the pandemic.
2: So so the open street program, now that it has been able to grow and has gotten more and more support from the city, slowly but surely, has become a big success. So I think the next thing that we will have to do is is expand the success of open streets to more areas, especially areas that are historically underserved and under-resourced. So basically, TA, we, we organize and lead the Open Streets Coalition, which I think is about 170 local organizations and groups that support Open Streets and organize Open Streets. And we sent a series of letters to the mayor outlining how we wanted the program to change. And And the legislation that passed does resolve and address a lot of those issues, which is why we're in a really good spot right now. You know, we called for permanent infrastructure. Right now you see a lot of fights and a lot of issues around, you know, the barriers. And we actually want permanent infrastructure. The legislation addresses this by basically saying DOT will will have a system every year by which it evaluates and puts into plan permanent infrastructure changes on certain open streets. So it basically sets up a pathway to make them permanent. It sets up a pathway if people wanted to make them 24 hours. It sets Mm up a pathway to eliminate parking spaces. It also requires the city to do at least 20 open streets in areas that don't have open streets already. Because as we know, like it takes a lot of it takes a lot of time and effort and money to put on an open street and 34th Avenue is really powered by an incredible incredible army of volunteers a lot of them are that one especially because it's so big and there's so many places across the city you probably saw Sunset Park they have a bid there and they wanted to do an open street but they couldn't raise the money to, mm-hmm. to hire the staff the barricades, security etc every week for it so so we've identified these inequities and, 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 and because there are these inequities, because, because there are, you know, places that are still recovering from COVID, you know, these are, there are some communities where being able to put forward free labor, Every single day to organize this is is just not a high priority and is not something that can be expected of communities that have already been disadvantaged and under-resourced and are still recovering from the pandemic. So the Mm -hmm. legislation basically requires the city, hey, if there are areas that um, have not applied to have an open street or areas that were specifically at risk, like the city needs to proactively support and add funding and staff to create an open street. Because, you know, we know that the Open Streets program, we have data that shows a clear majority of New Yorkers in all the boroughs support the program. Um, it's really just about the city making it a priority and bringing it to everyone so they can enjoy the benefits of, you know, car free spaces. I think it's like 63% of New York City voters. Mm-hmm support the expansion of open streets in their neighborhoods meanwhile you have like this a minority of people who might come together and say you know i don't want it on this block or i love open streets but not here and you you have them sucking up attention sucking up information when in reality from the data and from what you said anecdotally they are the extreme minority here and if, if New York City is going to bow to every parochial interest and fight trench warfare block by block to do something that serves the greater good, like, we're going to, this city will collapse, we'll have we will, have, we will not be able to rebound from, from the pandemic.
1: Another organization that's advocating for better open streets is called the Loisida Open Streets Community Coalition. I spoke with Sophie Merwitz, who co-launched the group. Here's what she had to say. Hi,
3: Jay. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for, uh,
1: for calling. Thanks for, you know, getting together on such short notice. I appreciate it. So, yeah, so you're the co-founder of this coalition, and I just wanted to speak to you about its conception and, you know, its evolution over the past year, where Open Streets started and where it is right now.
3: Last year, when the Open Streets program was announced, they basically added Avenue B to the list of potential Open Streets in their presentation to our community board. Mm-hmm. And so... The NYPD, which was tasked with managing our particular open street as compared to other open streets which were managed by business improvement districts or specific businesses Mm -hmm. or in some occasions nonprofits, the NYPD was tasked with overseeing a lot, like a huge, I think almost a majority of open streets, which meant the NYPD was supposed to put the barricades out at 8 a.m. in the morning and pull them at 8 p.m. at night. Okay. What actually happened in practice was the NYPD kind of dropped the barricades once and then they just stayed in the street so a few neighbors just sort of very organically started moving the barricades into proper position Um, and then so our our volunteer group came together out of that we were able to liaise with the department of transportation and become an official partner
1: i've kind of been following the open streets and i kind of wanted to dive in more about just like open space and how that kind of seems like, oxymoron isn't the word, but like you think of New York City, you don't really think of like space. (laughs) That's like really not the first thing you think of. So I kind of just wanted to talk about, you know, just like the equity side of it, you know, who deserves space and how to be out there and how you feel that Open Streets has benefit your community specifically in terms of giving people a place to gather safely.
3: Absolutely. One of the, the arguments that opponents of open streets harp on is, mm-hmm. well, just go to the park. You know, just, <laughs> just just put your body, go work out, go have your programs. That's what the park is for. Mm-hmm. You know, don't use streets for that. And you know, as I mentioned, the pandemic showed us just like when there's demand for people to get outside, that space is simply not enough. So it's a, a really important environmental justice uh, issue. It's a really important um, public space, mental health, physical health issue. And the city like, has thousands and thousands and thousands of miles of space that is used as a, as a through route for cars that like is not benefiting the local community mm-hmm. the way that space
1: could be. It's really good to now see, you know, city council and New York City government support backing because it, it unfortunately it takes this, but it legitimizes the program in a way. But Absolutely. it also gives so much more in return to the community who started it. So, you know, I'm really happy to be speaking to you and your efforts and just to see how it's grown and then just moving on to you know the actual bill you know how how is that going to change now
3: i would love to see uh, the open street become a jobs creator staffing is mentioned in the bill okay so i'm hoping asap will get you know daily staff to move the barricades mm-hmm. adjust them and then that way, the community, instead of focusing on the day-to-day operations, can figure out, okay, how can we do more of this culturally relevant programming? Um, but it's very exciting. I mean, I've never worked on something that, within a year, you know, turned out into into permanent legislation. So that is that's a huge victory, and it does, like you're saying, like show that the the waters are turning toward um, mm-hmm. a re envisioning of public space for the people and not just for cars. Yeah, okay.
0: You can also learn more about Open Streets and the recent legislation at epicenter-nyc.com. Next up, every week we're sharing a story from one of our neighbors, someone just like you. Today, I'm excited to introduce Radha Vutzel. Radha writes novels, essays, and short stories. She got her Ph.D. from Duke, where she studied Victorian literature and film history— She was born and raised in Mumbai, India, and came to the U.S. when she was 16. Radha now lives in Queens with her family. Here's a bit of her New York story. So I came
4: here when I was 16 from India, and I went to boarding school on a scholarship in Connecticut, and so sometimes I would come to visit friends of my family in New York City, and I was always like a little bit overwhelmed by it. Then when I was in graduate school, I met Daniel, who we married. He's my husband, and uh, but he grew up in New York City in Manhattan. And so when we decided where we wanted to live, we thought, since my family was in India and his family was here, we should at least be near one family. So we moved to New York City, and we stayed the first year or for several months with his parents. And... Dan felt that the city had changed a lot since he grew up here in the 70s, but then we came to visit Jackson Heights by chance, and when when we came here, he felt like it reminded him of the New York that he had grown up in. It was a little sort of more down-to-earth with mom-and-pop stores and a real sense of community, and so we bought an apartment here, and we've been in Jackson Heights, Queens ever since. I just think that, that there is a very relaxed feel to the whole neighborhood. I mean, there's definitely the Indian strips with all the stores and the grocery stores and, uh, and the like jewelry and all that kind of thing. But I think it's, it's not just that it has an Indian community. It has all kinds of people from all over the world, but it has the kind of like a street presence. You know, people mm-hmm. are out and about storekeepers know you and there are a lot of small stores and like that really reminds me of home and yeah I would say that it's got this very down to earth kind of hustle and bustle that that reminds me of Bombay where I grew up Jackson Heights is like an amazingly sort of, I feel, tight-knit neighborhood with a strong sense of community. And um, what I like about it is that it is so political. So just the other weekend, um, we have a street that's closed off. During the pandemic, it was closed off and made entirely pedestrian. And now all kinds of people come to our little neighborhood to campaign. I don't think I have a favorite sound but I definitely think the most characteristic sound of New York are the sirens which I which I can kind of ignore but when they're right behind me on the street I hate but what I've noticed also is like Now that I, when I talk to my family in India, what I notice is the distinctive sound of the birds there in Bombay, and then I try to listen to the sounds of the birds in New York. And I have to say, like, I feel the birds in New York are much more subdued compared to the birds of Bombay.
0: Radha also has some great recommendations for what to read and what to watch this summer. Stuff you won't find on every list. We're publishing her picks in our newsletter, so make sure you're subscribed. Her most recent ones are linked to in the show notes. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be here again next week. Epicenter NYC is a newsletter about creating community in the city we love. Right now, we're actively looking for volunteers for an event series called VaxFest, It's a nationwide effort to make vaccines more accessible and more fun. Think lotteries, giveaways, balloons, papusas. The next VaxFest event is planned for June 11th. To get involved or to organize your own VaxFest, drop us an email at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com or hello at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavaca. You can find more of their music on their website, and it's also linked to in our podcast show notes. Ta-ta!